0: Grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good afternoon everybody, how's everybody doing? See, we're usually not on this early, but here I am. So for people on Facebook that are randomly coming by, come check it out, right? My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We are 45 people strong up and down the state of California, which means if you think you might have a paranormal need, we can get to you. And uh, It might, t- might take a couple hours to get to you, but we can get to you because we have people spread all over the state. Okay. Today's going to be an interesting day. If you're watching from Facebook, please um, hit that uh, like button and follow. Because I'm looking for followers. We're always looking for followers for this show. It's a little show that can, right? YouTube shows us no love. So we got to keep having people share and follow and all that. So if you're watching the show today and you like it, please follow if you haven't done so already. Or share it with somebody you know that, you know, that, that might be interested in this stuff. Because as you can see, today I'm veering out of the paranormal format. Which just something I like to do. Let me set this up because i got a cord coming down here. It's attacking me. Um, I like to vary. You know, I'm a journalist. I'm a photojournalist. So I like, to, I, I like to I like. to change it up. And when I can get someone on like, like, like Christopher, I'm really excited about that because it just changes the topic and gives you more interest. That's why if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube page, check out California Haunts Radio on YouTube. And we have 450 videos over there of different topics. Just like today, you know, where I'm varying stuff. So I think there's something in there for everybody. So if you go, just check it out and see what you think. And again, you know, share the show with everybody you can think of and get, get the word out. And if you are watching from YouTube today, there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner. And if you click on that, it'll subscribe, that subscribe button will pop up. Because, of course, we're always going to be subscribers. If you're over on TikTok and you see this later on today, please, please, please follow. And, uh, yeah. So my guest today... I was not a child of the 60s. I was like late 60s, early 70s. I'm not going to tell you when I was born. But I remember listening to the Beatles growing up. My sister and my cousins, because they're all like 11 years older than I am. I'm the youngest. And I remember listening to them tell stories about the Beatles. And I remember listening to the Beatles. And um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan. A huge fan. And uh, my guest today, Chris uh, Christopher Engelhart has four books out and he talks it and one of the things he talks about is uh, is what they were like plus the beatles helped a lot of uh apparent you know the beatles helped some other musicians not only with inspiration but with other types of help so that's what we're going to talk about today with christopher okay so let me bring christopher on and uh yeah here we go let the show let the show be oh i didn't push my button didn't i there we go see i'm missing my buttons today early schedules for me off. Okay, here we go.
1: Can you hear me? See me?
0: I hear, I hear you fine, sir.
1: Wonderful. Wonderful. <clears throat> Glad you took a little diversion. Otherwise you probably wouldn't have run into me or had me on the show. Yeah. See? Uh, pleasure to be on the show.
0: I'm excited to have you. Tell me Thanks about the invite. Tell me about how you started writing about the Beatles.
1: Well, um, I was fortunate enough to see the Beatles live at Olympia Stadium in Detroit in 1966, both the afternoon and evening shows. And uh, that really supercharged me. I was about 14 years old at the time and uh, giving away my age. And uh, it was more event than it was uh, musical. Uh, I was pretty steeped in music from an early age. Both of my parents were musicians. And uh, we, they would take me to a lot of concerts and a lot of Broadway plays. So I was steeped in, in, in Broadway musicals and show music, Frank Sinatra, uh, Bing Crosby, uh, Tony Bennett, that sort of music. But when the Beatles came along and I got to see them, first of all, I loved their music, but seeing them live was more than just musical. It was a, a true spectacular event. Uh, and we can go into that later, sure. but that really got me going on collecting their records. And when the Beatles broke up, there was a book that came out a few years afterwards written by two gentlemen, Harry Castleman and Wally Pedrazyk, and the book was called All Together Now. And it was basically a discography, but this discography not only included the Beatles recordings and, and or record releases – which discographies are, Uh Uh, not only their U.S. record releases, but their British record releases, but also their solo releases. Because the bad thing about the breakup was we lost the Beatles. The good thing about the breakup uh, is we got four times as many albums because of the four individual solo albums as we would normally have gotten had the Beatles stayed together. Uh In addition to the solo recordings that was that were included in this discography, these two discographers also included the Beatles' musical contributions to other artists' recordings. This is not just influence, this is direct musical contributions and collaborations with another, uh, another artist, whether it was John or Paul writing for Billy J. Kramer or Peter and Gordon, or whether it was uh, John Lennon working with Elton John or David Bowie or George Harrison working with Delaney and Bonnie or Paul McCartney working with Mary Hopkin or, or Badfinger, all of those collaborations and contributions were included in this book. So not only was I out collecting Beatles and solo records, I was out collecting, trying to hunt down all these records that uh, the Beatles appeared on for other artists. And, and during the, this period, the Beatles had to be really careful as did most artists when they made a contribution to another artist's recordings, particularly if they were on a different record label or signed to a different company, because it was essentially a, a contractual violation. So they had to do a lot of these collaborations and contributions under pseudonyms or anonymously. And as a result, that made uh, finding some of these contributions uh, challenging, to say the least. Um, and that was that set me on a course to try and discover every single solitary contribution that a Beatle made to another artist's recordings, whether it was a, a composition, whether it was singing background vocals, playing guitar, playing bass, playing keyboards, playing drums, um, producing, engineering, mixing, you name it. And so I dedicated from about eh, the late 80s, early 90s, all the way up to uh, right now, uh, tracking down, it was really very much a detective story and and a mystery story, uh, tracking down all of these obscure contributions, uh, some that were, were noted and were high profile for well known artists, and some that were for very very obscure, unknown artists, struggling artists that the Beatles, with their talent and generosity, were kind enough to uh, to help out. So that's really the subject of the book. And not only is the book uh, does the book catalog all the data regarding these recordings, where it was recorded, when it was recorded. <clears throat> who produced it, the other musicians that played on it, the record it appears on, the catalog number, release date, et cetera. But it also gives the backstory. It gives a brief biography on the artist, and then it goes into the backstory of how they came to work with one of the Beatles, basically the story of the day that a Beatle showed up in the studio to help one of these people uh, record their song.
0: That's incredible. How did you find out this information? Because like you say, it was a lot of it was clandestine.
1: 10% inspiration, 90% perspiration, as Thomas Edison would say, a lot of work, a lot of digging, a lot of referrals, a lot of, of rumor and uh, checking things out, verifying things, tracking down musicians, speaking with them, speaking with engineers, producers, fellow musicians. And uh, it was very much uh, a de- de- detective story and, and pasting the whole story together.
0: Were you able to talk with any of the Beatles
1: at all? Not directly, but, you know, and I'm asked that question often, but in ironically, they weren't the ones that I really needed to speak with. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for the Beatles to work with one of their heroes or legends like John Lennon with, with Chuck Berry. Um, but it's more a matter of imagine you're a relatively unknown artist and a Beatle shows up to help you with a a recording, that unknown artist is going to be in such awe and is going to remember every moment and every detail of that encounter. Where someone like Paul McCartney or George Harrison dropping in when they were recording an album at a studio and dropping in on some other unknown's session to play acoustic guitar, for the Beatle probably wasn't all that memorable or or notable uh, encounter, but the encounter with for these lesser known artists to work with the Beatle was profound. Mm-hmm. So it was more important that I talked to them anyway. In many cases, the Beatles probably wouldn't have remembered a lot of the encounters. Uh, oh yeah, I guess I played on that. Oh yeah, if it says in the credits I did, I guess I did, kind of thing. But f- then you would talk to the artists that they played with, and it that event was burned in their mind. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. So I just, find, uh, I just find this interesting because you you look at different collaborations from other groups like the Beach Boys, you know, with obviously Jan and Dean, they were doing sure. collaborations with them. And even Shania Twain, there's stories about Shania Twain writing for Britney Spears. Sure. Out there. So it, it it's not uncommon to have this done, but when you consider the Beatles, you know, because they were so, Popular, you know, and, and all that, and, and they were doing this to to help these these younger groups out. It's incredible.
1: It is incredible. It really is, and and again, it speaks to not only their diversity of talent, but their generosity of of spirit and the camaraderie. and And I think you know, when you were a struggling band like the Beatles were for many years, most people think you know, 1964, Ed Sullivan, overnight sensation. Mm-hmm. Hardly the case. They were a struggling band really from about 1959, 1960, all the way up to mid-63, before they were really a, a, a phenomena. And uh, so they never forgot their roots. They never forgot where they came from, uh, from, from humble beginnings, and really had to struggle from the bottom to make it to the top. And I think they never forgot that, and they always appreciated that and we're willing to try and help other artists along the way.
0: Well, that's what I find so 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 cool about it is that they didn't get a big head. Because no. a lot of these guys, they get a big head and that's it. Nope, nope I'm going to do my own thing. I mean, this is a group that had so much popularity and yet they took the time out to do this with, with other artists.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's a fascinating story. And I think it's sad that a lot of so-called Beatle fans – have, have either ignored or aren't aware of this aspect of their career, because uh, I found that some of George Harrison's finest guitar solo guitar work uh, was for other artists on other artists' recordings, just some mm-hmm. phenomenal slide guitar work. And uh, so for people that think that the Beatles are all about the Beatles and their solo career, this is a whole nother flip side to their career and, and to their music. And it, they really stretched and, and broadened themselves because imagine, for example, Paul McCartney working with uh, youth and in electronic music, classical music, worked with Johnny Cash and country music, uh, has worked with folk artists like James Taylor, worked with uh, uh, just a, a wide range of, of musical genres and musical styles. George Harrison working with Ravi Shankar for all of those years Uh with Indian music and George Harrison played on a Cheech and Chong recording if you can imagine. Or John Lennon working with Yoko Ono on her avant-garde music. Or David Bowie or Elton John. Um, And Ringo working with country artists and blues artists and and uh, with Ravi Shankar as well. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it it just opens up a, a huge encyclopedia of of daisy chains of musical acquaintances.
0: That's the thing. And when you're just talking about that and like everybody, when they think of the Beatles, they think of the rock and roll. They think of all this stuff. But I mean, these guys obviously had enough rich rich background to be able to do the country music and all that. And that's what makes it so cool.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's it's rich, it's diverse, and it's uh, eye-opening.
0: So can you tell me, um, you know, songs that people might recognize, the titles of songs that people might recognize now?
1: Well, you know, the Beatles have been doing this for 60 years. I mean, David Bowie fame, that was, was co-composed uh, by John Lennon, and John plays guitar on it and sings back and grow, vocals on it. That's a huge hit. That we've we've heard since the day of its release, uh, Belinda Carlisle's "Leave a Light On," which was a huge hit, made huge hit in my opinion, by the addition of George Harrison's uh, stunning slide guitar solo. And in fact, George's stated when he was alive that he thought that that was the best guitar solo bar none, including his own work, that he'd ever done was on on that huge hit for Belinda Carlisle. Uh, A song called Those Were the Days by Mary Hopkin, which is a classic. Paul produced that. He played guitar on it. Um, So, you know, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Elton John's version of that with John Lennon on guitar and backing vocals. And, um, you know, there's just I Won't Back Down, Tom Petty. Mm -hmm. um, And then some of the songs, well, even more. Currently, four or five seconds Rihanna, Kanye West, and uh, Paul McCartney. So it not only spans the spectrum of music, it spans the decades.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you were going through these things, I mean, were were you even shocked yourself when once you started doing the research and you saw what songs that they had worked on?
1: Yes and no. Um, I was pleasantly surprised and amused on occasion but not really shocked because that's who these guys were Mm -hmm. that's what they love doing you know they love to play i mean you look at paul mccartney and ringo at their age and they're still out i just Mm -hmm. discovered ringo just contributed drums to a track on a on a that has come out just since this book came out a month ago so they love to play mccartney does ringo does george did John was a little bit different. Of course, we lost John at at an early age. Mm -hmm. John tended to work with people that he knew and he was really close to. Yoko Ono, Elton John, David Bowie, or his backing band Elephant's Memory. But uh, McCartney's seemingly, (laughs) well, kind of a musical whore as is Ringo. They'll pretty much work with anyone and then Turn around and say as Ringo often would joke, "Well, that'll be three dollars." Or George Harrison would say, "Well, you know, you owe me Union Scale." Or <laughs> so they would. They not terribly shocked, no.
0: I just this book, and I did read through it. I didn't read the whole thing. It goes, you know, but I mean the stuff that's in there. I mean, for anybody that is a Beatles fan, this is huge stuff. This is just huge.
1: Yeah, it's it's a whole other treasure chest that. I think just so many people still haven't discovered. And once they do, and they open this book, they're uh, they're gonna be shocked by the wealth of detail and information because it's very encyclopedic. There are 375 different artists or musicians that one or more of the Beatles contributed to directly in some fashion to a recording. There's over a thousand recordings in total in the book that are documented that they contributed to. And this new updated edition has 90 new chapters, if that gives you any idea of just how much Ringo and Paul McCartney have done in the last 10 years, 12 years, since the uh, last edition. So they're very busy guys, those two.
0: Now, for the people that you were able to interview, did any of them work directly with, the, with any of the Beatles at all?
1: Oh, yeah. All of them. All of them. Yeah yeah, either directly with them or were members of their band uh-huh. uh, or were long associates and worked numerous times. like Jeff Lynn had worked on numerous projects with George Harrison in addition to traveling Bears, He worked on uh, with George on uh, some Tom Petty stuff and some uh, uh, George worked with uh, uh, Jeff Lynn on Jeff's solo albums, and Jeff produced George's uh, last two albums so yeah it wasn't just a one-off in a lot of cases i mean there are countless examples of uh, recordings that george harrison played on for bob dylan mm-hmm. and ringo as well for bob dylan so it wasn't just a one-off
0: Sure. in
1: many cases it, th- their collaborations spanned decades
0: and what were their impressions of of, of the beatles
1: oh I think the reason that Ringo Starr's all-star band, no matter who have been members, and when you look at the variety, you talk about the variety of music and musical people that the Beatles have worked with, look at all of the all-star band members of Ringo's all-star band and, and the diversity of those musicians, and all of them will tell you that the reason that those bands work is because they all want to serve their their hero, Ringo. Ringo's the, the band leader, but Ringo, more than being a band leader, is the drummer in the band, and he loves being the drummer, and he loves letting these other guys get out there and play their hits and play along with them, and they are honored to be able to do so and and uh, give it their all because of their honor and respect for Ringo. And I think that holds true for anyone that McCartney worked with or Harrison worked with. I mean, imagine when George Harrison shows up, you know, and they form the traveling Wilberries with Jeff Lynn and with, uh, uh, Tom Petty and with Roy Orbitson and with Bob Dylan. And I mean, this was a mutual admiration society and, and, uh, Harrison's association with, uh, Roy Orbison goes back to the early 60s when Roy toured the UK and the Beatles were his opening act. And by the end of the tour, uh, the Beatles were the headline act and Roy Orbison was the opening act for the Beatles. And he immediately recognized that this band was going to be huge and they remained friends from that point forward. So it was no accident that somebody like a Roy Orbison would end up in the Traveling Wilburys, mm-hmm. and Tom Petty. Of course, all you have to do is listen to any song he ever recorded, and you're going to hear Beatle influences in it. And ELO, come on, let's yeah. be honest, kind of a Beatle ripoff band. Yeah. So um, you know, it cut both ways. They were it was a mutual admiration society all the way.
0: You know, it just, like I just like I said, this just blows my mind. This whole thing because it's it's just to have them take the time out to do this stuff. You know that that's what they want to do. But I guess you know if you're if you're into the music stuff and that's all you want to do, you want to write, you want to produce, you want to you want to just keep it going. You know, and so helping out younger bands is great. It's a yeah, great- and they
1: learn from each other. You yeah,
0: know? Same at that legacy.
1: Yeah, they learn from each other. So it's it's yeah, it's, it's just it's what they love doing and. Again, I'm surprised that more people haven't really investigated this aspect of their career.
0: Well, it's a good thing you did. I mean, I, I can't wait to read the rest of this stuff. You know that that you wrote. Um, well, the good
1: good thing about the book is it's not a linear read. It's not like a novel. You can once you read the introduction and understand what the book is about and can navigate the data, know how to navigate the data. You can open it to any chapter and, and read it. They're brief chapters, 10 minutes to read a chapter. Uh And then you can flip, you can go to the middle, you know, like Mike McCartney, Paul's brother, or you can go to the end and read Frank Zappa, or you can go to Neil Young's chapter So or Brian Wilson. So uh, you don't have to just read it from cover to cover, but there's 440 pages in the book Mm -hmm. and it's fine print. And uh, (laughs) so there's a lot of information there, which literally will take you weeks to read this book.
0: It's a fascinating book. What I've read so far is fascinating. What do you think is the appeal of the Beatles to everybody?
1: I think they're, it's good music, number one. Um, basically, what the Beatles did initially was they stole American music from the 50s mm-hmm. and kind of gave it a British feel and bounced it back to America, who had kind of left the early and mid-50s rock and roll behind for the teen idols and for a softer Pat Boone uh, Ricky Nelson kind of sound, and not to disparage those artists in any fashion in any way, but the Beatles took the basic original Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Buddy Holly, uh, 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 Elvis Presley music, put their spin on it, bounced it back to America who rediscovered it, and then the Beatles took it from there. They were very creative. They wrote their own songs, which was novel for that time Mm -hmm. and they were incredible songwriters and they continued to develop they were never afraid to take chances every new album was a completely different sound they they pushed the envelope at every turn Uh, we've just now recently got to see the re-release special edition of revolver and that was such a transitional album because you know people a lot of people think the beatles High water marker, their greatest album was Sergeant Pepper. But really the forerunner to Sergeant Pepper was Revolver. And the forerunner to Revolver was Rubber Soul. So all of these albums were progressive and evolutionary. Each one built on the last one. It wasn't like, well, the last album was a hit. We'll keep that formula. We won't change anything. We'll just we'll make rubber soul two, rubber soul three, rubber soul four. And you end up with four albums that all sound the same, and maybe they have hits, but they don't push that creative envelope. Mm-hmm. So when you have a band that is willing to say, "Okay, we did Rubber Soul, now we want to do, so, now we want to do Revolver, something completely different," mm-hmm. with songs like "She Said," "She Said," and "Tomorrow Never Knows," and "And Love to You," and "And uh, I Want to Tell You," and, and introducing sitar music and backwards loops and backwards vocals and backwards guitar and slowing songs down like rain instead of releasing them at their normal speed. All of these were things that no one at that time had ever thought to do. Mm -hmm. And a lot of credit goes to George Martin for that. So, because he gave them the, he was, they had the ideas he could implement them for them in the Mm -hmm. studio. So I think that's what made them unique. And I think that's what, why they are revered and they are uh, uh, a cut above all the other bands from that period because they weren't afraid to take chances.
0: Right. Cause you do, you hear, I agree with you that during that time period, you hear a lot of stories, even with like, even Elvis, you know, these people like him about the demo records, you know, where people would record these demo records in their style just to catch their ear. And then the star, the the, the singer would, would, you know, take that stuff and use it for material. And to have something so fresh with somebody writing their own material really, really set the Beatles away from everybody else.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think the songwriting of Lennon and McCartney was really the the determining factor in, in why they were as big as they were. You know, I mean, Elvis, great performer, incredible voice, but he wasn't a particularly gifted musician. And he, yeah. let's be honest, he couldn't write a song to save his life. Right. Right. When you have you have John Lennon and Paul McCartney and then latter day come George Harrison, who towards the end of the Beatles uh, as a group really came to the fore as a uh, a, a co-equal uh, in songwriting. So to have one band with three amazing songwriters and one of the best darn drummers on the planet. I mean, how do you, how can you go wrong?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. How long did it take you to put this together?
1: Well, really, this this Beatles Fully Uncovered is volume three. I started with Beatles Undercover. It came out in 1998. And Beatles Undercover, uh, I started in 1995, took about three, three and a half years to write. And then 12 years later, I put out Beatles Deeper Undercover Uh which was an updated version of Beatles undercover that took about two and a half years to update. Yeah. There's the first book. And then uh, 12 years later, again, Beatles fully uncovered and that took about another two and a half years to update that one. So in total about eight, eight and a half years Uh of, of very hard diligent work and research to, to get to the point where I have this, Third and final updated edition. And then, of course, I also did a book called From Grand Funk to Grace, which was an authorized biography of Mark Farner, which came about as a result of Mark uh, me interviewing Mark for Beatles undercover. And Mark so liked uh, my chapter on him in that book that he, being a fellow Michigander, got a hold of me. we We kind of ran in similar familiar circles. He got a hold of me and said, "How would you like to do uh, my book?" And I said, "Absolutely." So that's how that one came about.
0: Fantastic. Now, when you spoke to people about these sessions, what did they say that the, the Beatles were like to work with? I mean, was it a fun? Was it a fun atmosphere, or were they or were they worker bees, or, or how'd that work?
1: Almost always, it was fun. Um, it was usually a situation of right place, right time. Mm -hmm. Um, happenstance they in many cases the Beatles would be one Beatle a solo Beatle would Paul or Ringo or whoever would be recording one of their solo albums and down the hall in another studio would be another artist and they might overhear or peek their head in the other studio to hear some other artist working on a song and say gosh I really like that you know do you mind if I come in and, and listen or I got some ideas maybe I can, you know, and who's going to say no? You know, what What artist, even Bob Dylan isn't going to say no. Come on in, George, you know. So um, a lot, in a lot of cases, it was just a matter of, of coincidence, right place, right time. And in other cases, it was the Beatles, you know, jumping at the opportunity to work with somebody like Carl Perkins or Bob Dylan or any a number of people. Uh, and in some cases, uh, it was the artist going after the Beatle, bugging him and bugging him. Hey, when are you going to play on my album? I played on your album. Now it's your turn. <laughs> Will you play on my album? And finally they'd rewind. Yeah, I'll play. Ah, come on, you know. So it, it, it was a variety of, of circumstances that would lead to these collaborations.
0: And the other thing I find funny is when you talk about, you know, here's, some, here's this newer band in, in the studio, and I just had this vision, you know, and Paul McCartney or somebody sticks their head in the window and says, hey, can I watch? If it were me, my hands would be shaking. I, I would love sure. them to watch. I would be so nervous I couldn't even function.
1: <laughs> and that's pretty much what they would tell you. But they would also tell you that these guys were just regular guys, and they'd put them at ease, and they were super easy to work with and uh it was an absolute pleasure in a lot of cases george would often say yeah i'll come in and play guitar on your album but i really i don't want to be george harrison i don't want to be uh you know uh, attributed i just want to come in and play i just want to be a player i want to be a session guy you know or ringo would come in and say i just want to play drums i don't you know you don't don't make a big deal out of this it's just me coming in playing some drums or Give me a tambourine, I'll play some tambourine or I'll clap my hands or, you know, just to, to be there and have fun and, and help somebody out.
0: Now that you've uncovered all this, do you think there's even more out there that, 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 that they worked on that no one's that people aren't aware of?
1: Well, th- there has to be and there are. And if I knew, knew them, they'd be in the book. So I don't know, you know, what they are or where they are or when they'll, if ever, be released. Uh, there are many uh, sightings in my book of recordings they contributed to that have yet to be released. So those are in the book. But yeah, almost certainly there are many, many, many dozens of recordings that uh, remain in uh, vaults uh, that have yet to see the light of day that uh, one or more Beatles almost certainly have contributed to.
0: Um, This makes me think of, because I'm a big Elvis fan, and it makes me think of these tapes that are these recordings that keep surfacing of him on his, at his piano with Johnny Cash and different people just shooting the breeze, but they're singing all these songs. Sure, and it's just incredible. And that's probably the situation with this. There's going to be stuff found that maybe they were sitting in a recording studio and they were having cokes or whatever they were drinking. <laughs> and, yep, you know,
1: absolutely, absolutely. There's, there's no question about that.
0: That never saw the light of day yet. There they are with these other artists.
1: Yeah, there, there's probably. Far more than than I would even suspect, and hopefully someday uh, we'll get to hear them. I don't know if I'll be around long enough to uh, be able to document and discover all of those, and there are certainly plenty left yet to come that they haven't done but probably will do uh, just in the next
0: year. Yeah, and what people got to remember, too, with these recordings is, you know, when they do come out, they're raw. You know, they're not going to be the best quality recordings, but I mean, that's that's what you're hearing. You're hearing what happened at that particular moment, that second, when they all sat down and started singing.
1: Yeah, outtakes, uh, rejected songs, uh, jams, you know. I'm sure that George Harrison somewhere in his tape library at Friar Park, his home studio, there have to be reels and reels and reels of jams of him with Carl Perkins or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Wynn or Bob Dylan or God knows who, I mean, all kinds of people, friends and, and acquaintances and neighbors. Uh, You know, uh, Jim Capaldi was a neighbor. Gary Moore was a neighbor. Um, There are a few other people. I forget who all, but uh, these guys would stop by on occasion and, and, Jam with George, and I'm sure most of them are rough and informal and humorous and revealing, but certainly not finished or polished recordings that they would normally want released. But by the same token, for people like you and I, uh, for historical reasons, they're fascinating. They're things we want to hear because they give us tremendous insight into the the machinations and, and workings of how these people create this incredible music
0: i was just thinking that i have a friend who um is just starting to record music and i remember listening to the the, the raw stuff from from the sun sessions and she that's what she said she said no i like listening to this because that's a real recording artist not like me and now i can hear how he actually worked in the studio you yep. know what went on in the process that he that they went through with with the multiple takes and all that and then I, I think it's a good thing.
1: Oh, it's, it's it's a good thing. But I can also see where some of the artists, I would imagine that if John Lennon were alive today and he heard some of the stuff that got released on that Lost Lennon tape series, he would probably be not too happy because right. there was a reason why these things, and I'm sure a lot of it just got destroyed uh-huh. or erased or, you know, imagine all the stuff that they recorded over right. because it was just, they thought it was so crappy that why keep it? And uh, why, why waste the tape? Right. It's so good. there's probably lots out there that was done that we will never, unfortunately, hear.
0: That's true. But, you know, as an artist, it, it humanizes them even more. You know, because Sure you, you it know, does. The, the inner workings of how they, how they were thinking, you know, oh no, I, I don't like that tape because of this. Let's try this again and change it up. Or they'll turn around to a guitarist and go, no, why don't you come in four beats in and blah, 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 blah. So it's, it's kind of cool to hear those, the, 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 those lost recordings.
1: For you and I and historians, uh, yes, it is. But for them, as artists, yeah, right? They probably cringe when they hear that some of <laughs> this stuff has has been released, bootleg or otherwise.
0: Right, I, I agree with that too, hundred percent. Um, so you've been a fan of the Beatles for years and years and years. So when you when, when you finally got into doing this, were you in awe when you got to talk to these people that were that had worked in the recording sessions?
1: Um, I don't know if awe is the right word. You know, at first I was nervous. At first I was a little hesitant. I wasn't, quite, I didn't have my legs,
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know, and how to approach these people. But I've been doing it long enough that you realize, um, you know, take somebody like Steve Lukather, for example. Um, Steve is an incredible guitarist, one A lister, one of the top in the world, and, uh, and an incredible talent. But when you meet him, he's also incredibly regular.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He's is is human and 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 full of it and and full of expletives and is is human and is uh, po- uh, uh cordial as as anyone. And he's his his natural. I mean, he, he's no different than any other human. He puts his pants on one leg at a time. He he eats and defecates and swears and gets upset and laughs and tells jokes just like all these other guys do and the only difference between them and the rest of us is that their particular talent in life happens to be music Mm -hmm. whether it's the guitar or whether it's songwriting or whether it's drumming you know, your talent is what you do. My talent is what I do. Mm-hmm. Somebody who works, uh, you know, as an accountant could be, or an attorney. It could be a phenomenally talented attorney, very capable, um, just as human as the rest of us. And other than his tremendous talent as a or skill as an attorney, is really no different from you or I. And so, once you realize that. And you, it's easier to talk to these people.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What did because you like, Okay, go ahead. Sorry about that.
1: Because you realize that, with the exception of their talent, which we admire, they're really no different from the rest of us.
0: Absolutely. What did you like best about writing the books?
1: The interviews, interviewing people, being able to discover information that was exclusive to this book, and and much of it is. Uh, discovering a recording unreleased that I'd never heard before. Um, just some fun stories. Uh, the very first chapter in the book is about an a artist by the name of Glenn Aiken. And it's a fascinating story. He was a um, musician from New Zealand that uh, left New Zealand and ended up uh, in the Maldives Island islands at one point, playing at a Hilton hotel. Uh, as an entertainment director and a kind of a guest services director. And he's out playing one night for some diners on the beach, and he looks out in the front row, and there's Paul McCartney with his wife. And uh, he's nervous, needless to say. And uh, he'd been forewarned that somebody famous was going to show up at the hotel, but he didn't know who it was going to be, and then he found out that night. Well, the next morning, he's working in guest services, and he runs into Paul McCartney comes by and tell, compliments him on his music the night before and how much he enjoyed it. And he says, uh, by the way, he says, I want to do some diving. He says, and I need some video equipment. He says, do you think, uh, can you help me with to find some video equipment to film my underwater diving excursion? And Glenn says, I'm just your man. He says, because I also work in guest services and I, we have that equipment and, and I dive. So I'll take you out and I'll film you, which he did. They came back after the fact, made a little DVD out of Paul's Dive and they wrote the music together for the DVD. And then later during McCartney's stay, McCartney got up and jammed on Beatles songs with Glenn. And McCartney liked one of Glenn's songs so well that he offered McCartney a a publishing contract with with MPL, McCartney Productions Limited, for for Glenn to sign to MPL. So Glenn moved to London, signed with MPL, and Paul eventually dropped by one of his recording sessions and laid down some bass on one of his songs on his album. So what are the odds? (laughs) And those are the stories I love because they're so, you know, serendipitous. Mm -hmm. The, the, The chances of anything like that, ever happening you know it's like winning the billion dollar lottery and but yet it happened so it, it's stories like that that i just absolutely love
0: do you think people when, when they read your book do you think they're surprised by the titles of the songs that the beatles did work on
1: uh yeah they are and i think you know one that gets brought off frequently is george harrison playing on Cheech and Chong's song, Basketball Jones. Everybody always comments on that, that they just can't believe that. And there's another one in the book. Um, It's called The Chainsaw Song. Uh, There was a band called Nervous, a British band, and they were friends of McCartney's kids. And they would, as a result, visit McCartney's home and nearby Paul's home. Paul has a studio called The Mill. And uh, Paul offered the studio to this band Nervous to record an album. And uh, one day this band was recording a song and they had the idea that they would try to include every instrument that was in Paul's studio. And you can imagine that Paul probably has every instrument known to man wow. somewhere in his studio and probably can play most of them. Um, and so this band tried to put incorporate every instrument they could find in the studio on this song. And just so happened, Paul dropped in on their session. He'd been out cutting down some brush with a chainsaw. So they said, well, come on in, Paul. We've got this song and we're trying to incorporate every instrument. Why don't you play chainsaw, your chainsaw? Fire up that chainsaw and we'll record you playing your chainsaw on this song, which Paul proceeded to do not uh, thinking, that he was going to set off, because it was a, a, a gas-powered chainsaw, he was going to set off the smoke alarms, yeah. smoke detectors in the studio. So up the hill a few minutes later comes the fire department to answer the fire alarm. So they <laughs> they drag the, the fireman into the studio, and they get the fireman to sing backing vocals on the song. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> now, the song has never been released, but they aptly titled it The Chainsaw Song. So you can just imagine the the odd, weird things that are out there that they've done and played on and, and been involved with over the years.
0: I imagine the firemen's reaction when they walked in and Paul McCartney standing there too. Wow! Yeah,
1: well, maybe probably they knew where they were going, but uh, nonetheless, it's, it's a cute story.
0: That's a great story. That's a really great story. Um, in researching this, did you learn anything new? I mean, obviously you, you knew that there were these hidden, song, you know, these songs that they had worked on, but was there anything really overly surprising?
1: All the time, and in every chapter, um, I learned all kinds of new things. Let's see if we've got some. Oh, uh, um, there was a guy uh, by the name of Chris Mullen, and he was not a student at Liverpool Institute for Performing Arts, but he worked there and was a musician and his fellow musicians there uh, because Paul would occasionally stop by the Institute and would do one-on-ones with the students there, songwriting one-on-ones. And these guys arranged for Chris Moen to, to do a one-on-one with Paul. And Chris thought that they were pulling his leg. He thought that they were probably joking. It was a practical joke, but when the day came, he walked in the room and there was Paul with his guitar and Chris walked in with his guitar and he had some songs in mind and he had one song called uh, Myself Fooling Me. And he sat down with Paul and Paul helped him with the middle eight of the song. And Paul described to him how he and John Lennon used to, with, for middle eights, when they were stuck on a middle eight, they would say, well, let's take it on a journey. Let's take it like, like on a vacation. Let's take it somewhere come in a different direction and then bring it back home. Mm-hmm. And so he described this method of writing middle eights that uh, that he and John would use for writing middle eights to Chris. And he said, let's take this song, The Middle Eight, on a journey, and then we'll bring it back. Well, when they were done, Paul said to Chris, he says, well, he says, I hope you you like that middle eight. If you do, you can use it. It's yours. You don't need to bother crediting me. So there are a lot of examples like that. That until you actually talk to the artist, you don't know that that happened. Mm-hmm. There was another one, another student there by the name of Natalie McCool, at Liverpool Institute. Same situation. Paul helps her with part of the song called "America," which was a, a relatively fairly good-sized hit in the UK. A wonderful song, and again, Paul isn't credited in the songwriting. Uh, you know, when you look at the the actual songwriting credits, uh-huh. but when you talk to these people, they'll tell you that Paul showed up and helped him write the song. So those are surprises. Those are, I really, another cute one was a, a, a Mexican soap star artist uh, uh, by the name of uh, Daniela Romo. She's also a recording artist. She recorded for Capital EMI, but she's primarily a Latin artist, and she sings in in Spanish. And she'd been a huge Beatle fan her whole life, and she really, really wanted to get Paul McCartney to contribute a song to her to record. So when she was at Capitol Towers in Los Angeles, she turned to some of the people there. She was recording there, and she said, can you get me a song from Paul McCartney? Can you get him to give me a song? And they said, are you out of your mind? We can't just call up Paul and tell him, hey, we got this artist here from Mexico that wants a Paul McCartney, exclusive Paul McCartney song. She said, well, if you won't contact him, I will. So she had some friends help her write a letter in English and she sent her photo and her bio and everything and and a tape of her music to uh, MPL, I believe, in London, and believe it or not, he got back to her and sent her a, a cassette, a song, and she recorded it, and she got to present him with the recording at backstage at one of his concerts. It was a song that Paul had done called uh, Did We Meet Somewhere Before, I think was the name of the song, and it was for a soundtrack, and it never got used. It was recorded by Wings, sat in the vaults, And McCartney sent her the the song. She had to change the lyrics into Spanish and had to change the tempo a little bit in a few spots uh, and the title, but it was basically the same theme. And she actually officially released it before McCartney did, so it qualifies as a contribution. And then Paul released it about six or eight months later as a B-side to one of his singles, I think from his Flaming Pie album, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, that's, that's another cute story. Or the time that Paul showed up, uh, he did a video for early days in Los Angeles. And uh, they were hired in some blues players to be a part of this video. And these seven guys that showed up had no idea who they were showing up for or who they were going to play for. And when they got there, they ran into Johnny Depp. And then we're told that it was a, a shoot for Paul McCartney. And they were basically just hired as props to fit the theme of early days because the the concept of the video for early days was to be like a young John and a young Paul McCartney first meeting and writing songs together except they used two young black kids from the Mississippi Delta who meet each other and write blues songs together. So these blues guys were hired And they were fairly well-known blues guys, but they were hired essentially as just video props. Mm -hmm. But in the interim of the, during the course of shooting, um, they started to jam together with McCartney. And it turned into about an hour long jam on all these old blues numbers. And they said in between takes and breaks, uh, McCartney would tell them all these humorous stories about, Dental health in England, and and Paul had brought his very first guitar that uh, he traded a trumpet that his dad had given him for his birthday in for a guitar because he couldn't sing and play trumpet at the same time. But he brought that original guitar and jammed on it with these guys, and Johnny Depp was there jamming with him, and to talk to these seven seven different guys and get their their seven seven different takes on what it was like to work with, with Paul and to listen to these stories. And one guy said, well, he said, it's the first and only time I've ever eaten vegetarian pizza that didn't have any cheese or pepperoni on it, (laughs) you know, but just fun, funny stories about how down to earth Paul was and how much fun he was to work with and how open he was about telling stories about the Beatles days and about his early musical
0: influences. So,
1: those are just kind of some of the stories that are in the book that you're certain not to read anywhere else.
0: That is really cool. What's next for you?
1: Um, been approached by a fairly well-known uh, artist on and off uh, for me to do a book on them. I can't reveal who that is, but uh, hopefully that will will happen um, I would sooner rather than later as none of us are getting any younger so mm-hmm. he or I
0: <laughs> do you think so, that any of the Beatles the the the, 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 reigning, the remaining Beatles are aware of your books
1: yeah I think they are yeah I think Paul and Ringo are uh, George was George sent me a handwritten note uh, after I sent him my first book and said what a book a marvelous job uh, you know so that's and nice. I that's reprinted in the back of the book. Uh, he's what did he say he said what what a book uh, uh i have to look at it <laughs> well, i me show I'm you saying. there it is it said uh signed a photo an unpublished photo cool and um and then it says uh k what a book a massive job gh that's
0: awesome. And that was
1: on the back of the photo so he really enjoyed the book i know ringo has i believe the first I think Ringo has all three books now. I hope he does. He was I got him to the right people to get him to him. So I, I think he has them. I, I've never heard back from Ringo or Paul. I did send Paul, I believe, the first book. I don't know if he has the second book. But um, yeah, I'm sure they're aware of them. Uh, I hope they are. Because it's, it's really uh, a tribute to, uh, as I say, their talent, their time, and their generosity.
0: Do you see yourself doing uh, more editions of this as, as as more of this stuff comes out?
1: Probably not, because based on the the previous two updated editions, they seem to come about every twelve years. But at this stage of the game, twelve years from now, the two surviving Beatles, God willing, they're surviving, will be in their early to mid nineties. I'll be in my early to mid eighties and how much work they will have done between then and now uh remains to be seen and um so i doubt it i doubt that i'll i'll do uh, another updated version that's kind of why we titled this one fully uncovered but there certainly will be more music they will contribute to in the next few years i'm i'm certain they will
0: so absolutely it's just a shame the world keeps turning and we keep aging and we just can't stay young forever for this, you know, to enjoy all this stuff and keep it going. Well,
1: all things must pass. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And, and folks, if you are interested in a signed copy of my book, you can email me. And this is a really easy email to remember Um, because the Beatles were a recording group between 1962 and 1970. And they put out, Two albums, or EMI did one, the, the blue, the red album called 6266, and the blue greatest hits album called 6770. So, my email is 6270, 6270, 6270 at charter.net. Very simple, very simple, easy to remember. And you can get a signed copy from me, just email me, and I'll set it up for you. Or you can go to Amazon, or you can go to CG Publishing, who have a website. They also sell the book, especially if you're up in Canada. You don't want to have to pay all the ridiculous postage. Uh, you can get the book from my publisher up in the Toronto area, CG Publishing, or any other uh, online or retail bookseller. Cool, cool,
0: cool. So the I books love that are available. Yeah. What did you know? Because with all the hype around the White Album, what what did you think of the White Album?
1: Uh, the White Album, in my opinion, was their arguably their best album. I might, I would say, Revolver for me, number one, the White Album, number two, probably Rubber Soul, number three, Abbey Road, four, Pepper, five, and Hard Day's Night, six. Okay, and cool. the rest.
0: I wonder what you thought of it. Cause I mean, that's the one, I mean, for a lot of the younger people, because of, you know, what was kind of connected to it. That's the one that comes to mind for a lot of people is that white album.
1: Yeah. Great album. I mean, you could make the argument as George Martin tried to do that. They should have pared it down to one album mm-hmm. or maybe waited and, 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 you know, not done the double album. There were a few bits of filler in there, but all in all, it's a pretty tremendous album. And, uh, you know, I think you—you you, more than any other album, you can see—it's almost four solo albums in many respects. It's the four individuals come through a lot more predominantly than on previous albums or even uh, uh, subsequent albums. It, it very much paul's work is very Paulish, and john's work is very Johnish, and, and george's is very george and and so yeah it's it's four individuals you know on that album in many respects but excellent songwriting um great album and and going from the pepper album to you know the simplicity of the white cover
0: mm-hmm.
1: i think was was interesting so
0: and like what you say about that about you know it was like four albums in one. I think once uh, once an artist gets inspired like that, it just comes all at once. And so, I mean, that, that I think that that's what was part of that, was they were all really, really on fire and inspired at that point. So they wanted to get all that down.
1: Well, and I think a, a, a part of the reason, a good deal of the reason for that is because most of that album was written when they were at the Maharishi's uh, Ashram in uh, India. So there were no distractions. They were there with, with little to distract them. They didn't have to do press conferences. They didn't have to do videos. They didn't have to do any live performances or or recording dates. They simply could sit around outside with their guitars and write songs. And then when they got back to England, they had all these songs written and uh, bang into the studio and away they went. But uh, was really the first real break they had where they could sit down and concentrate solely on songwriting.
0: Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. I learned so much about all this from you.
1: Well, I want to thank you. All thanks to you. Without you, I wouldn't be on the show. So thanks for inviting me. And again, folks, uh, if you want to get a signed copy of the book, email me at 6270 at charter.net. And we'll set you up with a copy. They make wonderful Christmas presents.
0: And how can people find you?
1: By email, 6270 at charter.net. That's the best way to find me. Or Facebook. I do have a Facebook. You can message me there. Or um, you can get a hold of me through my publisher, CG Publishing. Or you can just go online to Amazon and get a book there. But if you do, I hope you'll leave a uh, review. Right now we have across-the-board five-star reviews, only five-star reviews, so I'm really pleased about that. But we could always use more reviews. I'd love to to get feedback from people, and and I think it helps uh, other buyers as well.
0: All right, sir. Well, thank you so much for coming on, and maybe um, next book you have out, we'll get you back on and talk about it.
1: Oh, anytime. Pleasure.
0: All right, sir. Well, you have a good evening, okay?
1: You, You as well. Take care.
0: Okay, bye-bye. All right. Well, that was really interesting about the Beatles, and I am a a Beatles fan. I'm an Elvis fan, but I'm also a Beatles fan. So, uh, yeah, I learned so much. Tomorrow, we're going to be here at noon Pacific. Okay, make a note of that. Mental, okay, noon Pacific, and we're going to be talking with Mike Rinder about Scientology, and uh, he's got some stories to tell. He was a Scientologist for more than 30 years, and he broke away. From the church so he's got a lot of stories to tell and he not only that he was a board director i i believe a board director for scientology so uh grab your popcorn and snacks and strap in for that one because that's going to be a cool show so that'll be tomorrow at noon okay i want to thank everybody for coming today and uh, as usual the spiel is if you like the show share it with five people if you hated the show share it with five of your enemies because we are equal opportunity here at california hans radio also, you can check us out at, uh, California radio.com is our website. And we have a new YouTube handle, which is going to make it easier to find us. And that handle is youtube.com forward slash at California haunts radio and the C, the H and the R are capitalized. And that will take you directly into our radio, our radio site over on YouTube where we have all our lives. And, uh, Remember, when you get over there, there's going to be some tabs across the top because YouTube has made some changes to make it more (laughs) user friendly. So you have to click on the live to get to all these shows that that we're doing here in this format. Okay, but everything's there and that's the way to find it. And like I said earlier, we do a a plethora of different shows like today. You know, we're talking about we were talking about the Beatles tomorrow, Scientology, because I like to change it up. I'm a journalist, photojournalist. So, yeah. But anyway, thank everybody. Um, please share—you know—share with five people, no matter what you like them or not. You know, we want to get the word out about this show. Um, if you like what you saw and you're on Facebook, please hit that follow button. If you're on YouTube, hit the subscribe button, so um, so that you are informed every time we put something out. Also, if you are a subscriber on YouTube, they have a new—they have a community tab, and I've been allowed to, to kick into that. So I will be posting messages and polls over there. So if you want to check out the community tab for California haunts radio, please do so because there's some stuff over there right now. And I'm trying to take a poll to see what you guys really like. You like cryptids, you like ghosts, you like UFOs, you like this other kind of show. Let me know, let me know what you like. And then I can aim the show a little bit more for you guys. Okay. It's all about you and, and your listening because we, because that's what I'm here for. All right. Anyway, I want to say goodbye. And, uh, down at the bottom you see that ticker tape going, and that's because California Haunts doesn't take any money to investigate or anything like that. And I have bills to pay at the beginning of the month, just like everybody else. And if you could help me out, that would be great. Uh, I I would appreciate it to help me pay these bills. Uh PayPal.me at California Haunts or Venmo at California Haunts. You know, and it's just all the you know, all the income that comes in from the donations goes into either the group for equipment and you know, transportation and stuff like that, or it goes into the bill's here for the radio show because if a computer breaks, I have to pay for it out of pocket, or my producers do. <laughs> you know, so it it, 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 it snowballs. But anyway, I, want to, I appreciate each and every one of you, and I thank you. So I'm going to put his information out for you if, uh, before we end, and then we're going to call it a day, and I will see you guys at noon tomorrow, Pacific. So here is his stuff, and there's four books. His website is Facebook.com forward slash Christopher, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R, dot Engelhardt, E-N-G-E-L-H-A-R-D-T, the books, The Beatles. Okay, so we got The Beatles, Deeper Undercover, and the original one, Beatles Undercover, and then another book, From Grand Funk to Grace. And like he says, you can either get those via his publisher, or shoot him an email, or check out Amazon.com for those books. Okay, that's it and I'm done and I will see you guys tomorrow at uh, noon Pacific for a Scientolo- for for a deep de- for for deep dive into Scientology. Here we go.